Hello and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host Jared and joining me are Liam and Sean. How are you going boys? Yep, going pretty well out here. Uh, just enjoying a couple of fingers of Glenn Levitt Founders Reserve tonight. While I can hear my infant screaming in the background. No idea what my wife's doing to her, but she's been screaming for the last 15 minutes. How are you, well, Liam? All good up here in Osaka. Been a, uh, sorry, in Nagano, rather. Been a while if a girl made me scream, though. and we're off and running here we go (laughs) love it uh just with the um with the podcast we do um a spotlight series podcast on different cscs around the world so we want to record a few of them over the next couple of months so if anyone is involved in any cscs and you want to have them get the spotlight put on them by the Celtic Down Under podcast. Just uh, send us through a message and we can reach out and arrange something. All right, so everybody knows the latest news that we've had happen was the transfer window ended earlier this week. So we'll start off with that. So what we had was um, at the end of the window, we had our ins with a £12.5 million spend, Duffy on loan, Lagzold on loan, Moy on loan, and Barkers, Turnbull, and a Jetty. We bought them. Going out was Kuasi, Hayes, Gordon, Hendry on loan, Bayo on loan, Bolly on loan, Jose is released, Shred on loan, and Aitchison has left this week. So, yeah, what was your take on transfer window day, Sean? Yeah, I was <clears throat> relieved that uh, none of the, the big players left. The one player that I wouldn't have been sorry to see go would have been uh, in Cham. But uh, he, I got away rejected a couple of bids. One was supposed to be permanent and one was a loan. I'm not sure why, but uh, he's still here, so we'll take it. Um, the two players that did leave, Aitchison and Benyu, I think that's fair. Aitchison seventh choice he's never going to develop you know and Benio's more than had his chance and I I don't know what we were thinking when we signed him to be honest um bringing in Laxouts yeah do we want to talk about Charlie Nicholas's comment on that now or do we want to come back to it yeah get straight into it yeah I thought he was being a champion arsehole uh with his comments um saying that we were doing things on the cheap uh, I'll be honest. I not not. I wouldn't say I've not seen him play because I have, but I just didn't register because uh, I did. I would have watched him play at the World Cup two years ago, um, but I hadn't really registered him in my memory. And he's, he's coming with some pedigree, you know. He's played twenty seven caps for Uruguay, who are not shit. Uh, played five games, four or five games at the last World Cup. Twi- uh, played for Inter Milan, AC Milan. And then Champagne Charlie comes out and says, we're doing things on the cheap and Lennon will be disappointed. Uh, don't think so. And what was your take, Liam? Yeah, I think good window. We uh, we covered all the positions that needed to be covered. We got in an international class goalkeeper, a top centre back. Um, and uh, we've covered it. We brought in some more attacking options. Turnbull was a long-term project we've been looking at for a while, and we finally got it over the line. Um, 
El Yunusi did enough last season to warrant an extension, so I'm glad he's back again. Um, Laxalt, I think, could be a potential star. He, um, I actually remember him playing at the last World Cup for Uruguay, and he was quite, quite impressive. Um, very fast, but very good feet as well. Not just not just raw speed. He's actually got some real footballing ability about him as well. And the uh, the less said about the journalistic syphilis that is Charlie Nicholas, the better. Yeah, agree with you on that. I don't really want to give him much oxygen at all. No. Um, love the way Lenny just went at him, slapped him down, put him back in his spot. It was putting their story out there for a headline, and then Lenny's just, and the headline the next day was how Lenny just gave him a good backhander or two. So, yeah, not interested in Charlie Nicholas. What he says means nothing. As Lenny said, he's been talking poorly about the club for years, so his opinion means nothing to me. So that's okay on that front. I think the signing of Laxalt is going to be huge for us once he gets uh, some match fitness into him because is he away with the um, Uruguayan national team at the moment or not? Ooh, I don't, I don't think, think he is. So. I don't think so because he hasn't been playing much. So yeah. once he gets some match fitness into him, that'll be a great signing. Um the talk is like we'll be Greg Taylor will be on the bench, but then we're going to have some balance in the back line. If we're going to go with the back three, you have Frimpong, speed and skill out right. You'll have like Salt, speed and skill out left. It's going to be uh, good fun to watch. So I'm looking forward to it. Yep, definitely. Should be interesting. My only concern is our next up game being against the. Mob from over at Ibrox. I didn't want to drop the H word this early into a podcast, but <laughs> up against up against them, where um, I th- I don't know if it'll be too soon for him to jump straight in and start. Um, Lenny doesn't really do that too often anyway, but he did it with Duffy, so it's one of them where if he starts in that game, it'll be good, um, but. How long will he last? We'll discuss that game more in more detail next week. But, yeah, that's something I'm looking at at the moment going, it could be an interesting one. I've not, I've not verified this myself, but I gather that three players have made their debuts uh, against uh, Govan United. <clears throat> um, Pat Crerand, Johan Mialbe and Juninho are the three. There you go. I'm not verified that, but that's what I've heard. Debuts for Celtic against them? Hmm. Yep. Is that what you're saying, uh, Yes, against the team that play in Ibrooks. Didn't Scott Bain make his debut for us as well against them? I don't know if that was a debut, to be honest. It might have been. I think it might have been his league debut. I think he might have played a cup game before that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that makes more sense then. Yeah. Cool. I think overall, in terms of the ins and outs, I'm... We have downsized the size of the squad, so we've we've traded away quantity for quality. You know, we've lost two left backs and we brought in one. We've lost two goalkeepers, we've brought in one. So it's it is a bit thinner, but the six that we brought in are just they're all absolute quality. Well, yeah, I I, I think they are all absolute quality. Three of them have come from the English Premier League, and look, when was the last time anyone in Scotland signed a player from the English Premier League? Yeah, exactly. That's something I was going to say. Like, 
I don't think we've signed any projects this time around. Okay. It's uh, all players who are either starting quality or will be able to start in the first team. So to me, that's a um, it's a nice change of pace for us, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's, it's, instead of spending two and a half million on a Kamala or a Soro, it's gone for four and a half million, an extra couple of million for an Ayeti and a Duffy and not Duffy, but you know what I mean, Turnbull and Barkas. It's it's uh, all clearly been done with a view to winning this year. Yep, exactly. So I'm looking at the uh, first team squad now because you just touched on the next point I wanted to bring up. So as a goalkeeping stocks, we have Barkas, Bain is back up, Connor Hazard as the third string. Are you boys happy with that? Yep. Oh, honestly, don't know about Connor Hazard. The only time I've actually seen him play was when he was, uh, or seen him tested, was that preseason game when he was playing against us. Uh, was it for Ross County or something like that? Yep. And, uh, or wait, no, was that Doohan? I don't know. That was Doohan, yeah. Yeah, the preseason, I think Hazard was in goals the other side. But yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I honestly don't know. If he's been called up for international duty, it must have something to him. But Yeah, the only time I've seen him play is when he's playing for Northern Ireland in the nationals. Yeah. Uh, it's risky, put it that way. I look at it and go, I've always thought Bain was a good second stringer. He could do a job for us in Scotland, but... In Europe, I wouldn't want him to be our starting keeper. So I'm quite, and Barkas isn't proven international quality keeper, so I'm happy with that there. And also I like having Hazard there because, well, if he's already an international, it's worth keeping him and seeing if he's got something about him or not. So I'm happy with that rotation there. Then when we go to our defence left back, we've got Greg Taylor, Diego Luxalt. At right back, we have Frimpong, Alhamed, and somehow Ralston is still hanging around. Oh. <laughs> I thought he would have gone, but he's still there. And then at centre back, we've got Julian, Duffy, Ayer, and yeah, they've listed Biton as a midfielder, but he tends to play more at centre back. So. I'm personally, I'm pretty happy with the defence there. They haven't listed Welsh, but he's, I think he's a good fourth or fifth option for us if need be to have, especially for within Scotland and the amount of games we're playing. But I'm happy with our defensive line. What do you reckon on that, Liam? Yeah, yeah, I reckon it's solid. And also within that, you've got to remember that um, El Hamed can kind of move between right back and centre back as and when needed. Um, yeah, I think that we've got. That's maybe the one thing. I'd like to see Celtic have a couple more utility players, perhaps. Um, you know, last season, Johnny Hayes did a great job for us, moving between, at times, left wing, at times, left back, at times, left midfield. Um, and I think that we've got some players that can kind of transition that like that, but I'd like to have a couple more sort of utility players, if we could. But... That's a luxury rather than an essential. We've got all the bases covered, I think, at the moment. I think we're a bit thin because if you want, ideally, you should have two players for every position. <clears throat> and if we were playing a back three, that's only. Well, you've named three centre backs there. And Alhamid. You have at least five centre backs. Yeah, okay, so we're still one short, I feel, is, is what I'm yeah. saying. Well, my, 
my thing that popped into my head that I didn't mention before is I think I would have liked us to sign another left centre back yeah. because if you've got Al Hamid who can play right centre back, you've got Julian who prefers to play on the right, you've got Duffy who likes to play in the centre on the right, and Ayer, his versatility is the thing that's helping us here that he's playing as a left centre back in the in the back three, but he'd be more comfortable in either the central or to the right as well. So I would have rather to sign someone for that left centre back role if possible, but no, I don't know. I'm just some bloke in Australia talking shit about my football team, the other side of the world. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think I think when we get if we get short numbers there, it would be a case of changing to a back four rather than putting someone yeah, else in. Exactly. Mm. All right, and then we jump into the midfield. So uh, at defensive midfield, we have Biton, Brown, Sorrow, and Luke O'Connell. I put him in that position there. Um, then you've got central mid. You'd have I'll just back bottle them all together. So you have Turnbull, Christie, Rogic, and Cham, Kelmack, who can all play, and you it's you and Henderson play all all of them play together in the middle there. Then as a winger, you've got Mikey. Um, did, I'm not sure if I mentioned Christie or not before, but. And then you've got Alanusi, Forrest. So there's plenty of coverage in the midfield. It's probably the strongest part of our team. You mentioned earlier, Sean, that you thought uh, Cham would have left if we're going to lose anyone from the midfield. I just want to ask you a simple question. Did you see, because I've seen it all over Twitter and on a few other podcasts I've talked about it, Christy not celebrating at all to the goal on the weekend? Do you mm. think he was what, someone who was hoping for a move away? I didn't notice that, no. But is he? Is this his last year of his contract? Is he a free agent next year? No, he's got two this year and next. Okay. Well, that's not so bad then. But uh, I, I think he's probably of the Stuart Armstrong mentality. He's not particularly in love with Celtic and would have ambitions to move on. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I'm, I think if it wasn't for going for the 10, they might have let him go. But I could see him leaving next year if that's the case. Yeah. Liam, you got anything you want to add about the midfield? Um, No, I think, um, I think we could have done with letting one or two people go, actually. I think we're a little bit overpacked in midfield. But with when you consider that we can deploy... Beat on as a defender, you can apply and you can deploy Elianusi as a second striker potentially. Um, it's not how I would do it, but Scotland have played James Forrest up front before as well, so that's another option. Um, maybe having an overabundance of midfielders helps to plug some gaps we might have elsewhere on the team. My you left that one there, Sorry? Liam. You're saying about like um, Elianusi as a secondary striker and. Bitton as a defender, but you left out Tom Rogic as a physio. You can add him into that <laughs> mix too. How could I forget that? What are you going to say, Sean? Sorry. I'm saying who's uh, with Forrest out injured. I know we're playing wing backs, but if we go to 4 3 who with Forrest not there, who do we have? They push Christie right. Yeah. It's pretty much the only option. 
So say we wanted to put at the right back and then Frimpong up to right mid. Yeah. Or they bring in Dembele. That's the other option. Mm. Yeah, he wants to leave though, so he's yeah, no, to stuff him. Yeah, Yeah, and then up front we've got four quality strikers, and I'm loving it. We don't really see much of, haven't seen such a strong forward line in a long time. So Griffiths, Ayeti, Klamala. Edward, yeah. Over to you, Liam. Your take on that? Well, I was absolutely delighted with, uh, and we'll talk about last weekend's game a bit later. But the fact that it was our third and fourth choice striker that basically bailed us out the shit last weekend—that kind of speaks volumes to the depth of uh, attacking options that we've got. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's looking good. That 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 that's the. In recent times, the midfield has been the strongest part of the Celtic team, but I think you can make a case that now it's our attack that is the strongest element of our team. I, I still think it's the midfield, but yeah, it's definitely the strongest we've been up front and I don't know, since Van Hoydon, Cadetti and De Canio, maybe? I'm not mm-hmm. sure. It's going well, back a long time, time yeah. Ah, oh, okay, yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, that's a good. I'll give you that. Yeah, when we had to put Sutton into midfield, that was probably in. Uh, was it? Didn't Mo he play Salah? at centre half as well once? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, was it Ibrooks or something? Sutton and Keane centre back. <laughs> I think he did. And we I remember that one very vaguely. Yeah, I remember the post match. That's when it's kind of digging into my memory. But yeah, it's been. We've learned our lessons from having to play Lewis Morgan up front and. Um, Scott Sinclair. So the last year on year, we've had to put wingers up front. So they've obviously just went, look, enough of this. Let's get a few extra bodies in. You left out Mikey up front at Ibrox. Twice, wasn't it? Twice. Yeah. Or sorry, once. Well, Was it twice at Ibrox or once at Ibrox and once? Once at Ibrox, once at our place. But yeah, it's good to see that there's some strength there and we've, we've done that. So I'm pretty happy with that. So what we'll do is we'll start with you, Liam. We'll go for a grade, A through to F grade, from each of us on the transfer window in general. So, Liam, what would your score be and why? I'll say an A-. minus. The only reason it's not an A is because I don't think we should have let Jozo go. Don't agree with that, but... <laughs> Hindsight's a funny thing, isn't it? Mm. I'm pretty sure we let him go. We were of a mind to sign more than one centre back, and obviously that's not happened. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm saying B. Uh, I'm happy with the quality we've brought in. Uh, I'm disappointed we didn't get Fraser Forster. And I feel we could have done, like I said previously, a little bit more depth in the left centre in the centre back position. and Apart from that, yeah, B+. I'm happy with the quality and the market we've been playing in. For me, it's a B+, again. Um, I am happy overall, but when you let Hayes go, you let Jozo go, you let Gordon go, for us to take as long as we did to sign other players and bring guys in, that to me, put a bit of a downer on it early because we didn't know Bolly was going to do what he did, but we already knew we needed to get a left back. So if we hadn't assigned Lazolt 
this week, or Black Salt this week, we would have been in the shit, something chronic. So I think we needed, we sorted the left back position out. We sorted the goalkeeper out with Barkas. I still believe we need another centre back and probably another right winger. If we had got those two in, I would have been up in it as an A quite comfortably. But overall, happy with um, where we are because not only did we strengthen with six quality players coming in, but we didn't lose anyone. Yep, that's true. And I want to read out a post that I saw on, I think it was on our Facebook page or our Facebook group or something. When was it? Yesterday. Which summed up the... um, the general feeling. So Sean, this like Sean McCrory commented, Albion Ajeti, Vasilis Barkas, Shane Duffy, David Turnbull, Diego Luxalt, arguably our best transfer window in the last 20 years. Ajeti has hit the ground running right away. Barkas big shoes to fill and hasn't put a foot wrong. Duffy, a no-nonsense centre-half, is a real aerial threat. Turnbull is promising and has real quality. Luxalt will finally take command on and be excellent in a 3-5-2 formation. All great additions to the squad, but most importantly, we've kept a hold of all our current squad. So to me, that post has nailed it. Yeah. See, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I couldn't have written that better myself. So that's why I thought I was printed off, read it out, and that and Sean gets the old uh, the love on the podcast. So so an A minus from you, Liam, mm-hmm. and B pluses from me and Sean. Nice. Yep. All right. What we'll do is we'll jump on to the next topic, which is Kilmarnock forfeit three nil to Falkirk. Which one of you wants to talk about that? Well, yeah, I'll jump in on that. Um, I think that. The bigger message with that one is what precedent does it set going forward for other games later in the season? Because I guess unless you're a Kilmarnock fan, no one's really going to care that much about that game on its own. Um, and even then, if they can get their act together, they'll probably still qualify from the group anyway, being that, that cup being the way it's played. But um, in light of another story we're going to talk about a bit later on, um, there's been a lot of squawking from a certain team this week about how uh, the league should apply awarding 3 nothing victories to teams that have COVID-hit players. Um, I've got to say, in general, in the uh, the media, as a, you know, as a, as a journalist myself, I have to look at how critically the media handles this stuff. And the one thing that's that's come through to me Lots of comment about what Kilmarnock as a team did and didn't do to like shield their players. Lots of talk about what games should and should not be played and who should be awarded points and who shouldn't. Not a single journalist anywhere has actually said, I hope the players are okay. Not a single one. A potentially deadly disease and not a single journalist in Scotland said, we hope the players are all right. It was all about what should happen, what consequences there should be. Doesn't matter. First and foremost, people are dying of this thing and they should be looked after. Um, so there's that. But um, on top of that, the uh, the implications for Kilmarnock are they're basically going to have to play their youth team in the next game, probably. 
And as I mentioned in the podcast last week, I think we're just getting to a point now where being out with COVID is going to become the same as being out with an ankle injury or being out with a a strain or whatever. It's like, yep, that player's got COVID, he's out for at least two weeks. It's going to become a regular fixture. And if too many players catch it, teams are just going to have to going to start dropping games. Um, it's horrible, and I wish it wasn't the case, but I think that's the new reality that we're with. And what needs to be happen, what needs to happen is Celtic need to be careful that there isn't some attempt at the SFA to try and retrospectively alter the rules, because at the moment cup games can be awarded if a team doesn't field a full team, but uh, the league can't, and the league must stay as it is right now. The rules that were agreed to at the beginning of the season must be played out, regardless of what happens, in my opinion. So there was a, a couple of points on that. Uh, in terms of treating COVID like a normal injury, well, one thing about that is a hamstring tear is not contagious, so it's not quite like for like. Uh, but yeah, yeah as, as you said, the it is a situation where it's a cup game and that was the reason why it was forfeited. Uh, apparently being agreed in advance that uh, anyone that couldn't feel the team in the League Cup games would forfeit 3-0 and they wouldn't be able to reschedule. But Kamara's League game has been put up for reschedule and, and they'll have opportunities Well, you know, those midweeks where we're playing in Europe, they're, they should be free for the likes of Kamarnock and Motherwell. Yeah. Uh, so they, they shouldn't be too worried about that. Um, yeah, there was also Forfer. Forfer did 3-0 as well. But the thing is, Kamarnock actually could have fielded a team. They had 16 players available, but it was all uh, youth team players, and they, they chose to forfeit instead of uh, putting them out to get a, a pumping against Falkirk. They said, they said it was duty of care. They were taking that view. So they, even though they had enough players, they, they decided to forfeit instead. The duty of care part of it was due to the fact that the 13 or whatever players that they had, plus the three others who had been injured and were clear or whatever, they had, these guys hadn't been in the bubble, so to speak. Mm -hmm. They were like youth players who hadn't been in there, so hadn't had a required amount of testing done over a certain period of time to qualify. That's why they had to do it. They could have run tests on them, but there still wouldn't have been any guarantee the game would have gone ahead. So you can understand why they'd forfeit 3-0 if that's the case for the duty of care because you don't want to risk putting players out there and getting other people sick if one of them has it. Plus, you don't want to get a pumping and or have people who haven't really been training getting injured. So, yeah, I can understand it from a threefold point of view from um, for Killy. But, yeah, those uh, people across, across Glasgow better be careful because just if they're going to you're talking as you mentioned earlier, Liam, about oh yeah, we can just change games, give three nil wins because oh this this club's got someone who's sick. Well, no, mate, it doesn't work like that. We've got a squad of 25, 30 players. If we're missing two or three because of it, I'm sure we'll be fine. We've got enough depth there. So I, I feel that the the Scottish government are probably regretting their decision to cancel those Celtic and Aberdeen games later since it's all going to shit in a much worse way since then. Yep, and now they've set that precedent, they're kind of getting backed into the corner. Yeah. Yeah. So, tying into that then, we had the uh, positive test for Odson Edward away on France under 21 duty. And we also had the news today 
of Ryan Christie having to go into 14 days isolation because came in close contact with Stuart Armstrong, who tested positive on Scotland duty. So, Sean, yeah, it's on uh, the, the Edward news. The Edward one, I was panicked when it first happened because, you know, based on the timeline, you were thinking, okay, this he's probably picked this up on Sunday or Saturday and everyone in the team could have it. Uh, but they've been returning negative results since then for the whole squad, so that's fine. He must have picked it up on his way to France duty, which makes sense when you're on a plane. Uh, I'm disappointed, worried, you know, 10 days isolation. So he's allowed back into Glasgow on the Friday before the the Glasgow derby. But the downside is he won't be able to train between now and then. Uh, he's reported that he's free of symptoms. So he's really just isolating for to avoid spreading it, not because he's sick. So that's a good thing as well. And we get this other weird situation where he has to ha- only isolate for 10 days even though he's diagnosed whereas Christy has to isolate for 14 days uh, and it's I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with that to be honest uh, the reason for it is I've, I've read some papers on it and uh, 97.5% of people uh, develop symptoms uh, or test positive within the first five days of contact uh, but the reason why it goes out to 14 days is because of that other 2.5% those people that take up to 14 days to develop symptoms or test positive and I'm really not sure who we're helping by having that rule because if you're not symptomatic you're actually less infectious as well and yeah I don't know it doesn't really make sense to me and it's a bit of a pain in the arse that we've lost Christy just because Southampton couldn't keep their shit together. Yep, agree with you on that, because I was also thinking with the whole Christie side of it, it's unfair on him. He hasn't done anything wrong as he came out and said, I followed all the procedures about living in a bubble, doing what I need to, and now I'm being punished and I've done nothing wrong, so it's unfair. And then also the fact that you look at it and go, from a purely selfish perspective with us coming up against Rangers in our next game, we've um, you got Forrest out with the uh, stress fracture in the ankle. So who would have probably gone out into that wide right position in the three five two? Um, you're either going to have to play Frimpong up in that role, or Christie would have been the other option for me. So I don't know. It, dis- it disadvantages us a little bit on the pitch, but at the end of the day, that's the least important thing here. The most important thing here is. Edward, who's actually sick, gets better, and Christie stay, stays isolated, makes sure he doesn't test positive and he doesn't get it, and then comes back to Scotland when he can. Yeah, the um, the thing about all of this is that with the Christie situation, and even with Edward as well, up until this morning there was conflicting information about how long he would have to isolate and would he be allowed back into Scotland or not? All this kind of stuff. And um, it's just, the fact is, because this is a completely new situation, this whole pandemic, you've got, in just this case alone, you've got three different football organisations involved. You've got three different countries, governments involved. 
and you've got the various regulatory bodies in between. And it's a complete clusterfuck because none of them actually have a set way of dealing with it, so they're all kind of making it up as they go along. I mean, the, the 10 days for Edward, that's a French government regulation, if I'm correct, isn't it? It's yep. seven days for France, uh, but he's not allowed back into Scotland until he's done 10. Right. Okay, so that's a Scottish government regulation then. Yeah. Um, then the 14-day thing is, I believe, again, it's a Scottish government regulation, isn't it? Uh, yep. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But I believe it is based on WHO established protocols, isn't it? From from what I've read, anyway. But, um, again, we're going to have to, to a certain extent, frustrating though it is, we're going to have to accept that there is going to be this element of confusion every time a player contracts the virus, depending on where he is at the time and where he's been in the week or two preceding that. Um, and it's just a, it's an unfortunate reality that's going to be with us until everybody gets vaccinated. And the other thing is, in the fullness of time, footballers being the pinnacles of fitness that they are and being young really should probably be amongst the last people to get vaccinated. Oh, well, that's, a, so that's another that's issue. Kind of topic there, Liam. Um, but yeah, I think we're yeah. focusing on the reactive here. But my, my, another thing I had a complaint about is why in the hell are they playing under 21 football? I can understand that the, the FIFA and UEFA stuff, you know, where they have commercial contracts and that money goes straight to national associations. And, you know, if we don't play those games, then countries like, I don't know, Burkino Faso, their whole football structure could crumble. But I doubt that they've got commercial contracts tied to these under-21 games and under-19 games. So why are they going ahead? That seems entirely unnecessary. Agree with you 100%. There, Sean, I thought the same thing. I'm like, what's he doing? Like, there's no purpose there. He's not playing for the full national team. So, yeah, the youth games, is there really much purpose to it? Is there a World Cup coming up for them later in the year? Or is it because of the Olympics that were delayed this year to next year that these teams have to keep playing? Unless it's something like that, then why are they playing them? If the, if if they're using the Olympics as an excuse, then that's absolute lunacy. Because being in Japan, I can tell you, there's still no guarantee those Olympics are going to happen. Um, once the Japanese winter hits, if we have a full blown second wave, there is no way the Olympics will happen. I'll tell you that right now. I deliberately brought that up, Liam, so you could say that because I knew you'd have a word on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think I've said this before, but I'll go on record again. Those Olympics should have been cancelled three months ago. It's absolute madness that they're even thinking about doing an Olympic Games next summer. And we'll leave that for a, a whole different thing because that's taking us off topic if we go on that tangent. So, um, yeah, we'll jump ahead to the next thing we wanted to discuss. So, next game, next thing we want to do was review the game the qualifiers for the group stages in the Europa League where Celtic won, Sarajevo nil, Hudson Edwards scored in the 70th minute. We had a starting lineup of Barkas in goal, Ayer, Duffy and Bitton as centre-backs, Taylor, Frimpong as wing-backs, McGregor, Brown, Christie in midfield with Alanusi and Edward up front. 
And then on the bench, we had Julian Griffiths, Klamala, Turnbull, Cham, Bain, and Alhamed. Um, looking at the stats, we had 14 shots to five. We had 64% possession, 200 more passes, same amount of yellow cards, and twice as many corners. So, Sean, what was your take on the game? Yeah, I thought they they really wanted it. You know, they had their derby postponed from the, the game the weekend before so they could have time to prepare. And they seemed to prepare by getting their hacking and diving uh, well practiced. Uh, I thought there were a bunch of hacking, diving cheats. And after about half an hour, the referee figured it out and, and that kind of nullified it slightly. Uh, they had one player that looked worthwhile, Tatar. He was the only one that looked really at the level. Um, I thought we were comfortable, even we, even though we dominated possession, it was just like, again, similar to the Riga game and any kind of SPL, like similar to the St. Johnston game or any game against Livingston, where these teams are playing for their life and we're just kind of struggling to break them down and and almost waiting for their legs to get tired before we create more chances. Uh, we should have had, I don't know, their player should have maybe been red carded in the first five minutes when he blocked a through ball with his hand. I thought it was denying a clear goal scoring opportunity, but didn't even get a three kick, interestingly. Bet on injury after seven minutes was a bit of a, a bit of a downer. And uh our keeper didn't make his first save until injury time in the 91st minute. So I think that pretty much sums it up. You got anything you want to add, Liam? No, I just think it was um, one of those games where I, I really think the scoreline flattered Sarajevo. We were a lot, we were worth a lot more than a one nothing victory, I think. We were clearly the better team. And um, yeah, although... We didn't score till late on. I never really felt at any point we were in trouble. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. It was the same. I was watching it going. It was 1-0 going on 3 or 4-0, in my opinion. They didn't look really like a threat. Um, I wasn't too worried. And not at any moment, as you just said, did it look like we weren't going to win the game. So it was just a matter of patience. Bide your time and eventually it will happen. So... At the end of the day, for me, as long as we got the win and went to the group stages, job done. I thought they were one good player above the level of Kilmarnock. <laughs> that, that, that was pretty much how I viewed them. Okay, so they were basically, um, who would that be? I don't know. What, it, like a Livingston or something? Hibs maybe, but not even that good. But um, yeah, some people saying like we should be taking four and five off them, but that's kind of disrespectful, you know, because they, especially when they are, it's the game of their lives and they do have a bit more quality than the average SPL team and they are um, getting a break beforehand and all that sort of stuff, you know. There's, to say that we should be taking four or five off them because of the difference in quality is a bit disrespectful, I think. Yep. Job done. That's all I have to say. So, um, yeah, as you said, if it was over two legs, yeah, I could see that mm-hmm. because they'd have to come over to our place if there was crowds there and everything like that. Last time we played them, we thumped them over two legs. So, yeah, in a one-off game like that, though, 
it's a potential banana skin, so I'm just happy we got the win there. Yep, job done. On to the groups. And then we get to the weekend's game. Celtic 2, St. Johnson 0. Goals to Lee Griffiths in the 90th minute. Patrick Klamala in the 93rd minute. We had a starting lineup of Barkas, Aya Duffy, Alhamed, Taylor, Frimpong, McGregor, and Cham Turnbull, Edward Alanusi. Bench of Julian Brown, Griffiths, Klamala, Sorrow, Christie, Rogic, Bain, and Welsh. 19 shots to 7, 69% possession. Uh, what do we have here? 11 corners to 1. And this is a stat that jumps off the page to me. Apparently, we had 14 fouls. They had 13 fouls. They had three eh? yellow cards. And we had two. What? Yeah, I know. I would have thought the foul thing would have been they had 24, 25, and we would have had maybe 9 or 10. So... They're a bunch of, in my opinion, a bunch of hatchet merchants. Should have had at least probably two guys sent off. Absolute bunch of grubby bastards, but we got through the game. I have no idea how Frimpong keeps his cool when he's getting tackled the way he is and just gets up and smiles and gets on with it. And one of the ones I'm saying should have been a red card, hasn't even been mentioned, was when Klamala scored at the end. He got absolutely lined up, taken out. And when the ball went in the net, that's when the refs waved to play on. <laughs> Liam, you got anything you want to add about that game? Yeah, well, I was saying earlier on, I think that we've got the the best attacking lineup we've had for a while. And it's games like this where you, where you see it. You know, a jetty injured, Eddie not performing to usual standards. You can bring on two international class strikers to win the game for you. That's that's the big difference. That's what sets us apart from that mob across town. You know, if Morelos doesn't do the business for them, they're humped. Whereas we have other options. Our options aren't just strikers. Our options are also in midfield. We've got a lot of guys there who can score as well. Yeah, definitely. And um, more to the point of the game, I agree the Klamala foul in the run-up to his goal should have been a red card. Blatant takeout. Um, I like the fact that after he scored, Paddy had a wee quick look over his shoulder at the boy that had just tried to bring him down. I thought that was quite a, a nice kind of wee subtle get it up you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that it? Aye. <laughs> is that all you got, son? <laughs> but um, no, I really think it was um, cliche to say it, but games like that are games that win championships. And um, how I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. Because no doubt there's plenty of them in a Hun's house with five minutes to go. <laughs> oh, the meltdown on Twitter was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I sat there for about an hour after the game, even though it was a stupid o'clock, and I'm like, look at this. And I was having a barrel of laughs. It was great. <laughs> I thought <clears throat> when you guys are talking about the quality coming off the bench, uh I got curious and went and checked, and not not including unders under twenty ones. Uh, if you count the number of international caps as a measure of quality, we had one hundred and thirty four international caps of talent coming off the bench, <laughs> which is probably more than St Johnson have had in the last decade in their squad. Uh, 
it's probably more than the Govan bastards have in their actual squad. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. But they've probably got players from some daddy countries as well. No, a yeah, good point. Like uh, yeah, land for Kamara. Is a part of the comparison to that? I thought after, I can't remember exactly how many minutes, but it was certainly in the first five to ten minutes. Uh, Duffy is about to get a free header and the St. Johnson player just tries to take his jersey off him. Nothing given, even though it's pretty clear to see for the linesman and for the referee. And that really set the tone for what they were allowed to get away with. And also, if we'd had that penalty and converted it, that really changes the game from being this absolute dire show of rugby to one where St. Johnson actually has to come out and play, you know? Yeah, it was a, um, wasn't a pleasant game to watch, but the, the late goals made it one of those memorable ones. It's one of them games that we said it on the group chat after the game that it was, um, that's one of those ones that wins your titles. Yeah. You show the class, you show the effort, you, the, the will to win, to score goals in the 90th and 93rd minute, to make sure you're picking up three points away from home after playing away in Europe during during the week. If that was Rangers in the same situation, that's where they dropped points last year. So those are the sort of results that play a massive, have a massive impact on things towards the end of the season. So, yeah, it was great to see from our boys. It's good to see uh, a goal for Lazarus Griffiths making his fourth comeback. I don't know how many. I thought it was like the Phoenix coming out of his ashes again, yeah. you know, as usual up or the yo-yo. That's what I saw him get called that as well. Yo-yo Griffiths. Cause he's like up and down in and out of the team, up and down. And oh, there was all sorts of stuff. Like that. it was great. More resurrections than Jesus. <laughs> I thought I think that... there's the title name of the podcast. <laughs> Oh wait, don't don't share it in any uh, religious communities <laughs> like Ireland. Um, yeah, that's a point. <laughs> uh, no, I thought the first half. Oh, some guys in the first half were really really poor. I was surprised though. You know, say even uh, came out for the second half. To be honest, it was so bad. Uh, Edward was poor. Taylor was poor. Turnbull and Cham were like I know some people always call out Scott Brown for being a passenger at times but Jesus there was two of them two passengers in the first half with they two you know what I mean they were both doing the Scott Brown role that, and not doing it well and I was which really, two again was it? Uh, Turnbull was... and Cham I actually didn't think Turnbull was that bad in the first half <sighs> like I thought Cham was worse they were both poor both poor oh, to me watching it I said Alan Usi was empty jersey and Cham same deal I actually thought at least Turnbull was kicking lumps out of people, give him back as good as he got. So at least he was putting a marker That's down. True. He did get a yellow, yeah. But it was, El Yunusi, man, his touch was off. There was something like the first 10 minutes and there was a, a ball put to him in the halfway line and it, it just bounced like 10 yards away from him on a touch and just gave away possession. I was like, Jesus, is this what you pay 16 million for, you know? Like, this guy's getting 70 grand a week and that's his touch. He's good on the carpet at Parkhead or get him in Europe when the game's a bit slower and he's good at that level. But you get him on a goat track like what St. Johnson's got or on a plastic pitch and he's just, you may as well not have him out there. 
I think you're being kind to him. I don't think the surface was that bad. Come on now, I'm trying to make, you know, look after the guy. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in terms of our Mason in the Black watch this week, um, we had uh, an official who's not refereed a top flight game in over a year, making his comeback in a Celtic game. Uh, someone whose uh, brother played for Rangers and uh, one of his, uh, apart from allowing St. Johnson to get away with murder all game, I was particularly aggrieved by when Frimpong was fouled three or four times in one of his Macy runs and uh, instead of giving us a free kick for the final foul on the edge of the box, he pulled it back to about 20 yards outside the box to previous foul so that we couldn't get a good chance. But he waved play on. I remember that one. I was screaming at my TV. So yeah, he'd given advantage and then Frimpong gets fouled again and then he played, he pulled back for the previous foul. So it's like there's no advantage there. To who? Yeah, but yeah, but I've never seen that before. Like, it's like the old one about if you're getting fouled outside the box and it carries into the box, it's a penalty kind of thing. So why would you pull it back to the, the free kick that's further away? I don't understand. Simple because he doesn't know what he's doing. Or because he does know what he's doing. Depends who you ask. Or what persuasion? Are you blue or green persuasion? Yeah. What's your match number? <laughs> yeah, like yeah said, the, the referee was a... Although you were saying that he's not refereed top flight for more than a year. Something like that, yeah. I don't remember. He suddenly gets one of our games. Yep. I mean, in what other Mickey Mouse outfit is that even allowed, honest to God? It's highly suspicious. You could just throw in somebody for a a game involving the biggest team in the country. It's complete nonsense. The fix is in. That's what it is. But that doesn't even suit. To me, if you're going to fix it, go with a rabid hun that you know you can depend on. A guy like that is untested. He's just incompetent. Yeah. Yep. I mean, his brother literally was at Rangers, Brian McLean. I don't know if you remember him. He, he played for Motherwell rather than Rangers, but he was at Rangers before Motherwell for five years. And like, we're supposed to believe that these guys aren't biased. Even if he's not a Rangers fan, which he presumably is, his brother played for Rangers. So he's, you know, he's got an, an emotional investment in that team, no matter what way you look at it. And, then when people go, oh, they're just human, you know, they're just doing their best. Well, if they're just human, all humans are uh, guilty of unconscious bias. So, you know, if you're telling me that they're not biased, but they're just human, those are that's contradictory statements in my, as far as I'm concerned. See, while we're on our high horse about this, right, here's the thing. Something that's bugged me for years about referees. See, when you, like, let's just say, for example, you work for, hypothetically, if you work for a computer company, for example, right, and you're in charge of managing the company database, if you hit the wrong key and accidentally delete somebody's wages for the week, you're going to get disciplined. Do it again, you probably get a warning. Do it three times, you probably get sacked. Yet, in Scotland, when anybody criticises a referee, we are the ones that get punished for the criticism, not the referee for the incompetence. And what other line of work can you repeatedly make an arse of your job 
and yet the person that calls you out on it is the one that ends up losing out financially. I have an answer for you. Yeah? You can be a football journalist in Scotland. <laughs> That's why there's doesn't the story doesn't get brought up at all mm. that they're incompetent because the people who should be reporting on it are just as biased and just as incompetent. Yeah, it was like the last time we called them out on it and they went on strike and then we brought in other referees that did a better job and then they've went very quiet since then. Well, that's what I mean, though. I mean, it's like, okay, much more extreme example, but it seems to me like some of these police forces in America, it's the same thing. You ask them to do their job properly and they go on strike and throw a tantrum. You know, it's like, guys, if you did your job properly, we wouldn't need any any of this. I'm just pointing back to my goalkeeper letting that ball go through to him right now. Mm. I think we should be putting our referees full-time, but in a, a pool with the referees from England and Wales. And that way we can get, for Celtic Rangers games, we can get English and Welsh referees up that don't really give a shit about any of the other stuff. Oh, who's that one English referee? Was it was it Paul Durkin that wins like an Uber Hun? There's there's a lot that don't care, whereas up here almost everyone cares one way or another. The thing that I like about in England is each referee has to declare their allegiance at the start of the season or when they get their their badge have to say, Okay, where'd you grow up? Where's your hometown? So they won't ref the hometown teams or any club that they've got a family affiliation with. So if you're from Blackburn, for instance, and you've grown up a Blackburn Rovers fan, you won't get any of their games or games for their biggest rivals, but they'll give you games for, like, say, Charlton Athletic or they'll give you games for, say, Wickham or whatever like that. So they work around it that way. And I like that everyone is so open and everyone knows it and that there's no bullshit because of it. When in Scotland it's like you can't ask the referees because – you know, they blow up and go on strike. Thing is, and if they did that, we'd probably have no refs either. Russell wouldn't have any referees. But I did read an article that there was a there was a guy up in Aberdeen who was trying to become a referee, and he'd been going through all the grades, got there, got his ticket to the level he needed to be, but then he never got appointed to any games because he didn't come from the certain controlling branches. Yeah, Lanarkshire. Lanarkshire, that's the one. So he ended up moving down to England and reffing down there. So I'm like, that's the sort of situation where that's what we want. Get the guy from Aberdeen, develop him, let him come in. Get guys in there. We need more of that. But no, the more you the more you ask for it, it's never going to change. Yeah, the the only problem as well is in Scotland you just get everyone would just declare for a different team, like how like how Chick Young is quote unquote a St. Mirren fan, etc. they would just, you know <laughs> you're not gonna get unbiased people even if they are declaring for a certain team. Well that's what I was saying. You you know, Partick Thistle would never find an official for their game because that's what everybody would just put on their form. Yeah, or Morton. Clyde. Gretna. We'll put Gretna down. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what we'll do is I just want to um, plug the uh, Celtic Down Under website. Check it out. 
Um, we've still got pins for sale as well, everyone. So um, if you if you're interested, at the moment we can only mail them to us to Australia. But I spoke to Australia Post today. They're going to start international shipping on all of that pretty soon. So a post will go up when we're able to send pins overseas. Um, on top of that, I also want to thank you, Sean, for hosting last week while I was not available when I was drugged off my ass in hospital with a back injury. I appreciate that. So thanks heaps. No worries. Hope you're feeling better. Got anything better. else you boys want to add before we uh, finish the podcast? Have we got time to do the game or is it? Yeah, we can do that if you want. Yep. Liam? All right. So would you rather? So um, in light of our... Uh, our boy Patrick Klamala getting the second goal at the weekend. I thought we could do a would you rather on Celtic backup strikers. So this list is guys who, you know, played a few games for Celtic and maybe more than a few games in some cases, but were perhaps never quite first choice in terms of the striking options. So uh, right, I'll just start, start off then, boys. So would you rather... Uh, Patrick Klamala or Chris Killen? Oh, Klamala. I'm going to go Chris Killen just because I know we have some people from across the ditch who listen to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I would probably go with Klamala just because I think he offers something different to what our other strikers do. Whereas Killen was a good striker, but perhaps a bit generic. Here. Okay, moving on. Um, would you rather Patrick Klamala or Miku? Oh, Miku. I'm going to say Klamala because he's our player. I'm saying Miku based on, I think Klamala maybe in the future, but based on pedigree, Miku. I'll say Klamala. Um. I, I wasn't that impressed with Miku when he was with us, and I just think uh, I think Klamala's a better all-round player, and he has the potential to become even better because he's still quite young. Uh, Miku led the line in our famous win against Barcelona. Aye, that what else did he do? That the goals both came from midfield. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, right. Uh, okay, next one. Would you rather... Uh, this is an easy one. Patrick Klamala or Georgius Samaras? Sammy. Not. I'm going to get probably get booed here. I was never a massive fan of Sammy. Boo. But the only reason why he gets my vote, other than that he played for us for so long and big games, is because his old man was born in Melbourne and so said my hometown. So, Samaras. Oh, I didn't know that. All right, Samaras for me as well. Patrick Klamala or Mark Burchill? Klamala, I think. I don't even remember much of Burchill, so I'll go Klamala. Okay. Yeah, I would go for Klamala as well. And uh, I think that's it. That was all I had. Do you guys have any other players you'd like to add? Yeah, I'll give you one who I would take ahead of Klamala. Uh, Simon yeah. Donnelly. Oh, good shout. Hi. I've oh, got yeah, one for you. That. Yeah, Simon Donnelly. Didn't yep. always start for us, but rarely put a foot wrong when he did. Yep. Patrick Klamala or Timu Pukki? Oh, 
Um, Pookie at Celtic or Pookie now? If we're talking at this exact moment now, I'd be going Pookie. If we're talking about what he did at Celtic, I'd be going Klamala. That's my thoughts exactly. I'd probably go Pookie either way, to be honest. Okay. Hmm. Cool. Oh, right. One more, guys. Klamala or Harold Bratback? Is he Kent as a backup, really? Well, once Paduka showed up, he wasn't really getting a game, was he? Uh, I mean, it would have to be Bratback, but I don't know if I would qualify him as a backup. I wouldn't classify him as a backup, but yeah, he'd he'd win over Klamala. Aye, I was, I'd, I'd go for that as well. I'd go for Harold. Well, Klamala or uh, David Fernandez. Klamala. Yep, Klamala. Yeah, he was a good player before he came Kamala to Celtic. Being a sub who gets subbed. Yeah, <laughs> nothing more embarrassing. Yeah, I don't right. think I've got any more. Okay, well, that do us then, lads. Yep. All right, so on behalf of Liam and Sean, just uh, everyone, thanks for listening in again. I have another podcast out next week where we discuss the European draw and the build-up into our game against Rangers. Talk to you then. Hell, hell. Hell, hell. Hell, hell. Podcast Network.